people, I'm Juba, a London-born, Essex-raised and Berlin-based DJ, and welcome to the Assurance podcast. Last year, I released Assurance, the documentary that I made about the experiences of female DJs in Nigeria. After its release, I realised that there were so many other stories to explore, and I wanted to continue the conversations that were started with the first documentary. In each episode, I'm going to be talking to inspiring women DJs in the global south and delving into their own personal journeys, their local music scenes, and the impact of their social context on their careers and lives. This podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Share Her Power campaign, which is all about camaraderie over competition and women empowering women. The more I got into the music scene and the, let's say, industry per se, the more I realized that, oh, okay, there's a problem. I cannot put my finger on it, but there's a problem. Like, why am I not getting enough opportunities either to perform or why am I not getting paid properly? Or, uh, you know, why am I not getting this interview or why am I not getting this uh, deal with the with this label, specific label, or, or you know? Why, why, why didn't my application go through for, you know, a grant or whatever? And then I realized a few, a few, no, not a few, a lot of years later that, wait, actually, this is the problem. Because I look around and I'm surrounded by, you know, men, by cis men. Hi, people. It's Juba again with another episode of the Assurance Podcast. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad that you guys are still with me. Or if you're new to the podcast, hello, hi, get comfy. So today I'm joined by Lilian Chilela, a DJ and producer who's been pushing forward the boundaries of electronic music in Lebanon and the Middle East for over a decade now, both as a solo artist and via her various local and international collective projects. She's a multi-genre, multifaceted DJ and producer and just artist overall who's worked with everything from film to interactive installations, performance art, contemporary dance and fashion films. She's definitely a pro and well-established and one of the most versatile female DJs and producers, or let's just say DJs regardless of gender and producers regardless of gender, in the Middle East. Hey Lillian, how are you? Hey Juba, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. How are you? How are things? How's life? Uh, a little better. Since yeah. I came to to Canada, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, sure. Mm. But it's, yeah. it's it's a bit better now. Yeah, you're feeling better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are you slightly more settled in? So I know there was a bit of a, I guess, hoo ha for want of a better <laughs> term beforehand. Yeah, of course. Of you like setting down. It's bit, it's still ongoing back home. The, the hoo ha you've been talking the hoo-ha. about. <laughs> <laughs> That's my term. That's my very technical term for chaos pretty oh. precise <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so things are, are are pretty are pretty okay now for me yeah okay yeah. good to hear that good to hear that So, Lilian Chela, you are joining me today for the Assurance Podcast. But with all of my guests that have come onto the show, I've been asking you guys a set of questions to get to know you and your path into this world of DJing and production and, and whatnot. So, can you tell us, when did you first set your hands on a pair of decks? That was probably when I was 16. Mm. So, it's a bit more than... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well 18 we years ago i guess no uh 12 years ago maybe or something like that i'm yeah. not good at math but like yeah. wait how old okay. are you i can work it out i'm 34 yeah that will be wait you started 16. when you were 16 18 yeah. years uh 18 yeah. oh dear lord 16 it's all good okay, man. 18. uh so that was that was the first time i ever uh touched a pair of decks and I took a few lessons with some older DJ and mm. that was it. How did you get into that though? Why did you decide to take some lessons with DJs? Because uh, I I don't know, I was I was super intrigued by, uh, you know, entertaining people uh, and playing in clubs and pubs and whatnot. Mm. But I had been, I mean, composing, I have been a, a musician since I was, you know, whatever, <laughs> at mm. seven, I guess, whatever. And after learning... Uh, the piano, the the guitar, the drums, you know, the basic mm-hmm. instrument. And then I decided I wanted to do 
something about I don't know I was just intrigued by the sounds that were coming out of these pairs of decks and mm. then I got invested I got more invested into creating my own sounds out of different you know gear so I would be wiring different gears like guitar pedals with some effector and you know this DJ to some guitar pedal and whatnot and this is where mm. the actual production started as well in mm. parallel to that how did you find people to practice with as well I'm intrigued about that like who did you hit up to give you your first DJ classes uh, it was just some DJ and some random uh, club in Beirut back mm. then and I was just like hey could you teach me <laughs> and he was like yeah sure I give like, I could give you a few lessons and then I just hit his studio and he just gave me the basic beat matching kind of you know and how to record mm-hmm. a set and that was it I took it from there I, I got my own pair of CDJs the Pioneer 800 which I still have back home nice <laughs> yeah. wait you had them for 18 years yeah 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 and they, they, they're still perfectly working that's durability for you right there <laughs> wow man 18 years fair enough I feel like things actually should last longer than they do these days anyway. We're just used to everything breaking after like a year when actually it should be standard. Exactly. True. So yeah, I, I took these lessons, I got the gears and I started collecting basically. I mean, not collecting, not frantically collecting, but just mm. collecting gears from here and there. Some effectors, some samplers, uh, some basic cork synthesizer, which I still have. I I, I have all my gear still. So Are my you a gear. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, like I stopped buying gear a while ago because it, it it started getting a bit expensive for me, and mm. I'm just. Uh, I'm just happy with the way they work uh, in terms of I know what I can get out of each and every one of them and mm. I'm I'm really like I'm not really invested in like buying shit tons of gear I'm just like okay for the sake of it yeah yeah exactly I mean if I need to get a certain sound I know how to get it and if I don't I try to figure out a way that's how you do it mate but I, I also feel like if you've got the old school stuff, you're probably sorted. You don't need to get the new stuff. Like it all will probably do what the new stuff does, but just a few less cheats. Um, but it feels like you're like a bit of a self-starter, which is really cool. And tell us about your first ever proper gig. How did that go? The DJ gig was just at, at some random, at that same club, the the DJ who taught me. Mm. Yeah, that was that was the, my first DJ gig. But I mean, it was super commercial and I was just, you know, just playing for the sake of playing. But my first solo gig uh, as an artist was when I was um, 22, I guess. 22 mm-hmm. or 23. That's and, like six years on. Uh, yeah, 100%. Because oh, I stopped DJing. Uh, a few mm. years later because uh, I was, you know, done with it. Mm. Yeah, I DJed a lot, but in, in very random places uh, and in private parties and dinners and weddings, all, you know, the kind of entertainment DJ that gets you money but just doesn't mm. bring anything more. Uh, but it, it was a lot of money back then and for my age, it was like, yeah, <laughs> we're, mm. we're, 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 we're just <laughs> making money, but like we're not actually doing anything about it. So that's when I decided to stop and focus on production. And I had my first uh, solo gig in uh, 2009 or 10, actually. Yeah, and that was fun. <laughs> Did you find a way to fall back in love with DJing at any point? Exactly. This is I, I started DJing again two three years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I completely shifted everything. Yeah, I was I was uh, I was on a no no call for for about ten years, and then I came back to it. <laughs> but what brought you back? Um, why did you join the dark side <laughs> again? The dark side. <laughs> I joined the dark side again because. I I wasn't really satisfied with what was going on back home, really. Mm. A Beirut's clubbing scene uh, was super, and okay, it got interrupted basically, but it was super, super active. Mm. We have, we had, <laughs> I'm still mm. using the past tense because I don't know what's going to happen next, but we oh, had man. the biggest and most active clubbing scene in the region, way before Dubai and way before Egypt and way before now, uh, okay, say, lol. Um, but yeah, mm. you had so many different, not clubs, you had key clubs and, and a lot of collectives as well. But I wasn't, I was just, I don't know, I was not really interested in what was happening, but the venues were there and you had platforms and you had shit tons of people attending every week. Mm. And I was like, but there should be more to it. Why, why the fuck does it sound all the same? And why are we getting these international mm. DJs who sound like everyone else so mm. yeah that's when i <laughs> i decided to do something about it basically 
save the scene. <laughs> Literally, Try like, to no. at least, or just do my own thing. Maybe, maybe someone will join. <laughs> yeah, no, that's important though. I guess you saw there was a problem and you're like, nah, I'm not letting this, you know, continue. I want to, you know, do my bit to, I guess, bring some flavor back into the scene. Yeah, more or less. I mean, there were like some, like, because the thing is you had so, you had the mainstream um, clubbing scene that's flourishing, always flourishing. And in parallel to that, you have a few um, but small, relatively small underground um, collectives uh, who basically organize parties and gigs every every month or so. Uh, but they were way more active back when I was also more active, which is 2012. But now it became, you know, recently it became more shy, but very solid, very much solid, but still super closed. Um, so there was no connection between both scenes. And I thought we could do something about that. Like there's always something, you know, to find, to mix and match something within both okay. scenes. Yeah. Um, Lilian Chalela, we kind of touched on it a bit, actually. Um, you talking about your reasons for leaving the scene and then coming back into it. So I do want to delve into Lebanon's music scene. I'm also quite intrigued to know why and how Lebanon's music scene has flourished so much or was flourishing. But first of all, just tell us about Lebanon. Tell us about the Levant region or the Levant region. Um, what's going on? I know there's been a lot of turbulence recently, to say the least. And you've actually felt the need to leave as well for Canada. Can I say where you are? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> Given away your location. <laughs> 77. <laughs> yeah, literally. Montreal. She lives in Montreal, by the way, by the guys. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, tell us about, um, yeah, what's been going on? The region in general has been, uh, has, has never stopped uh, witnessing uh, shit storms, <laughs> to be very mm. polite. But the very Hoo-ha. recent, hoo-ha, oh yeah, <laughs> hoo-ha storms. <laughs> The the region has been uh, a witness of the who has <laughs> has, the has always yeah has always always yeah. witnessed who has unfortunately and and it's definitely not stopping anytime soon. The thing is more specifically about Lebanon uh, the I mean to us and to the scene in general uh, the peak uh, of the underground scene was mainly in the two thousand nine ten eleven twelve that was the peak mm. of the productivity of the scene of the underground scene in general and in parallel to that the clubbing scene started uh you know flourishing mm. slowly but very very surely so back then you had a seemingly more stable uh, um situation in lebanon and by situation i mean uh you know no more uh, car bombings no more israel bombing us every day um it was more or less more you know more stable uh, so you had more room and more means uh, to produce and to perform and to make uh, somehow a bit of money out of, you know, doing what you loved, which was basically music or maybe get a side job. But you were able to sustain yourself mm. and artists were really um, excited and, you know, all fresh and uh, we want to produce and we want to collaborate and we want to, mm. you know, organize events every week and collectives and, you know, exhibitions. So that was a very good period. And the crowd was really dedicated. And you always had, you know, Lebanon is a tiny country. So the, the scene all, all in all back then was around a thousand people. That was the max of it, you know. But for mm. Lebanon, that was really huge. Um, and for an underground scene. Uh, so after that, I guess things started drifting in terms of um, what was... I mean, the I don't want to say the quality, but, you know, the diversity of, of music that was being produced in Beirut. Uh, nothing drastically changed on the security side of the country back then. It was just that the clubbing scene was taking over and the region, the musical scene in the region started flourishing slowly but surely with all with the Arab Spring Revolution happening. So in parallel to, th- to that, mm. you had, you know, movement, artistic movements coming from all over, you know, the Arab countries. They were very shy but they were very solid and through either festivals or you know common connections you also had these kinds of collaborations between different countries artists supporting each other uh, producing music together and whatnot either via different you know regional festivals or you know uh, funding coming from the Arab world or that sort of things for me I guess the 10 years that came okay 9 to 10 years that came after 2010 in Beirut happened a bit too fast and and were a bit, you know, uh, disregarding so many 
issues, gender balance in lineups, uh, representation of minorities, uh, the diversity of the music being produced, the music itself, because we had a lot of repetitive genres and, 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 you know, productions. I do understand that the scene is small, but there's also the limitation of, can I get a funding to do that? Uh, and the passport that I have mm. doesn't really allow me to easily tour or to, you know, get to Europe because, you know, you need to have mm. the visas and all that paperwork that is just a fucking nightmare. So that also played sure. a huge, a huge role. And the blockade started, you know, coming more and more solidly on Lebanon. Uh, so you had less and less opportunities to leave I mean, as an artist, like to perform outside of Lebanon uh, and less people coming in, mm -hmm. except for the, you know, mainstream artists or DJs that uh, used to come to clubs and all of that. So, you know, it was a bit, it was driven by, okay, I'm going to say mainly, uh, you know, profit, but also mm -hmm. disregarding so many other things. And the economical situation started, you know, clearly um, going down the drain uh, up until the, the revolution of 2019, October 17th, which is, The revolution is still ongoing, but, you know, now we're really, we're being, it's being uh, cracked down on really hard. The banks started cracking down even harder on us, so people couldn't really retrieve their money. And it's still, it's still happening. You can't, if you have a bank account, you can't just, uh, you, you have no access to your money because, uh, because of the corruption oh and gosh. the money laundering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. So this happened and everything halted because everyone was on the streets or, you know, being shot at or arrested and all that. And then COVID happened oh. as well. <laughs> so Beirut right now is really not a fun uh, country to be in, unfortunately. And I'm, I was really oh. just lucky to be able to leave. But the rest who is still stuck there is just like, I'm, yeah, I, I've, I, I feel terribly guilty to, to be able to be here because I know a lot of people cannot leave the country, but yeah, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying my best. It's a hard one. It's a hard one because you can't necessarily bear that burden of, you know, True. feeling bad that you left the country because we've all kind of got to protect our own lives because it's all well and good being noble and staying in the country, but if you end up getting hurt or you even, you know, don't survive it then who benefited you know in a way so True. don't beat yourself up about that but um it is is very interesting without for want of a better word to hear about the sort of ebbs and flows of you know Lebanon and Beirut and how at one point there was this really thriving exciting musical culture and space for uh, movement and then the Arab Spring also caused this moment of excitement and musical creativity and then it all kind of went downhill recently and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. True. And I think uh, one interesting thing is hearing you talk about Lebanon and this sort of liberal world of, you know, I don't know if I say liberal world of, you know, clubbing and music scenes and stuff like that. Because I guess when people in the West think about the Levant region or the Arab world, they think of like really overly oppressive countries where you can't do things like club and party and enjoy that sort of um, sense of revelry, you know, or drink alcohol, whatever. So I'm actually intrigued, like, how is it really in someone like Lebanon? How liberal or restricted is it? And also when it comes to women as well, because I think another thing is that people assume that women are just oppressed across the Arab world. So I'm actually interested to hear from your perspective, like, what it really is like and how there was that space for this freedom and creativity. The thing is, Lebanon is really not as, let's say, restrictive as any other Arab country. Mm. And it also depends on uh, on different regions in Lebanon, different uh, societies, because it's a mix, like it's a total mix of so many different uh, cultures. So it will mm. really depend on where you're going. The reason for which Lebanon has always been a pillar of, you know, a pillar in music create and art creativity in the region was, I believe... Um, because it has always been the most tolerant. I'm going to say, I hate to use that word, but I'm okay. And I'm not going to use the word liberal because I also think it's not precise. Mm. Let's say the, the most tolerant uh, and the, yeah. okay, in terms maybe. of freedom of expression. Yeah, okay, open-minded if you, yeah, if you want. Anything. <laughs> yeah, anything. You want. <laughs> yeah, if you want. Not assholes. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, yeah, I think I really believe this is why Uh, a lot of initiatives or yeah that's the, uh, not initiatives but yeah it was it had always been the model of you know uh starting something from scratch and it was always the hub for creativity i, I mean 
If you look at Egypt right now, Egypt, of course, Egypt is like a million times bigger than Lebanon. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, mm. if you compare Egypt during the Arab Spring and versus Egypt now, I'm saying in terms of you know music production and and the music scene there in general. Right now, Egypt is like is on a roll, <laughs> is really on a roll mm. because the economical situation is relatively better because Egypt is getting funded by the. USA and, and 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 of course, but back then, before the revolution, Egypt was was really not doing well at all. So you had very little people daring to produce things that were a bit out of the box or the traditional uh, kind of you know mm-hmm. music and all of that, like properly experiment with sound or you know different genres. But right now, it's like booming. It's booming like crazy because the situation there is fine. I mean relatively fine of course uh, on a social level and and you know uh, it's terrible because uh, people are still getting getting jailed on a daily basis just for speaking up or just for being queer or anyway it's mm. it's terrible there but i mean the funding is coming in so people have more uh you know means and time and possibility to produce to you know and this was exactly a beirut 10 years ago, 10 to 11, 12 years ago, because the political situation was a bit more stable and, and you know, there were no proper restrictions. Of course, you can do, you can dare, let's use the word dare more in your productions or in your uh, artworks or what you're saying in Beirut more than, let's say, Egypt or, I don't know, Jordan or, of course, I'm going to say the <laughs> KSA or the UAE. Mm-hmm. It's less risky to do that, but Right now, it's becoming more risky because the government is cracking down harder on everyone. Mm. This is this is really uh, linked, unfortunately. Interesting. Wait, when you say KSA, I know UAE, but what is KSA? I'm gonna sound uh, really Saudi dumb. Arabia. Is KSA? Yeah. Is it Kingdom, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia? Of, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Interesting. Fair enough. It's almost like there's a correlation between things like the middle class or wealth or um, sort of the stability of a country and levels of freedom. So the less stable a country, the poorer it becomes, the more your freedoms are restricted, as opposed to it just being like the Arab world or Muslim or you know Orthodox Christian majority countries being overtly oppressive in inverted commas. Mm-hmm. We've kind of almost like talked about how the situation now is impacting the music scene. It's almost like it's really suffering, obviously, because of the the conflict that's going on but how has it been generally speaking for women I mean you started like 18 years ago so how was it back then how is it now and how do you feel having waved it goodbye maybe ouch <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> oh good maybe not a goodbye anyway oh no no no, no it's until, fine until until soon <laughs> I don't know something like TBA. that TBA TBA yeah TBA Ooh, wait what's TBA to be announced oh to be announced <laughs> I know that <laughs> okay sorry yeah so uh, tell us about always like for women in the music scene it's actually pretty funny because back then we really weren't thinking about these issues like at all we were just excited to play uh i really i was one of the very few uh women on you know on decks basically but Mm -hmm. it was never i mean at least for me it was never about you know it was never about look at me. I'm a I'm a female, ooh, and I'm a DJ, la la la. But for for the general majority of the crowd, it was uh, super entertaining. Like to them, it was wow. It was something like oh wow, that's so cool. She's DJing. I was like okay, but it really means shit to me. Like uh, mm-hmm. it was never you know a thing. But I was a kid. I mean, of course, you would never unfortunately think about these things, especially back then. But the more I got into the music scene and the let's say industry. Per se, the more I realized that, oh, okay, there's a problem. I cannot put my finger on it, but there's a problem. Like, why am I not getting enough opportunities either to perform? Or why am I not getting paid properly? Or, uh, you know, why am I not getting this interview? Or why am I not getting this uh, deal with this label, specific label? Or, or you know, why, why, the, why didn't my application go through for, you know, a grant or whatever? And then I realized a few, a few, no, not a few, a lot of years later that, wait, actually, this is the problem. Because I look around and I'm surrounded by, you know, men, by cis men who basically run the place and really run everything. It's the same story everywhere. It's, it's, it's hilarious, hilariously sad that it's the same story everywhere. Yeah. But unfortunately... In Beirut, it's really it's it's tiny. Like really, Beirut is tiny, 
And you know exactly who runs what and who's friends with whom and who says what to whom. So you know how it how it works, but it's so close that you 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 can't you can't say like you try to do you try to make things happen, but it takes a while. But if moving forward, like throughout the past years, uh, the past decades, you had more. Uh, you had a very shy number of of female producers coming in, electronic music producers, and an even shyer number of DJs. But the problem was they were never given a platform to perform. Uh, and the more I dug deeper to, you know, try to find female uh, or female-identifying individuals who were producers or DJs, I found out that basically a lot of them thought that this was a very close scene and that they could never ever perform in this or that venue or this or that, or this or that festival or that their music would never be heard or that no one would ever, you know, give them the opportunity, you know, to just play their stuff. And I related to that, but I was, you know, I'm not, now I'm older, but I related to that, but now at least I can put my finger on it. So I've been trying to work for the past two, three years now on, a, you know, one, I've been trying to raise awareness in the music scene in general and more specifically within the key players uh, of that industry back home, be it label, uh, you know, label uh, bosses or, you know, booking agents uh, or club, you know, programmers and whatnot. Like I've been trying to shed light on that. And I I, I created, uh, no, not created, I made a few scenes. (laughs) Uh, One of them was during the 2019 Boiler Room, uh, but this one was offline. My set was offline, not the one that happened a few months ago. Uh, I made a scene because there was, it was a two days uh, event and there were only four females out of, you know, 28 artists, which was terrible. Um, so I basically made a scene about it and no one was happy, but I mean, I had to do it anyway. And this is where it all started really. So yeah, now I'm trying to work behind the curtains, uh, and trying to find proper funding for some workshops, programs, and collectives for exclusively, you know, females and female identifying individuals in different areas of the music industry, be it live sound engineering, because we only have one female sound, uh, live sound engineer in the region. And yeah, and only one festival who is uh, run by a, a, a female. And yeah, that's it. The rest is really all men or just, you know, the perfect uh, DJ, um, DJ fitting, uh, you know, a certain criteria. That would just be put forward in the lineup to look as if, you know, look, we're super balanced and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's all mm. in, very connected. The problem is we never thought collectively, ever. It was all about me, 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 me for the past 10, 15 years, you know. And that's a problem. This is where I'm mainly investing all of my time and efforts right now. It seems like there's quite a way to go to equalize things um, in your region, which is... Mm-hmm quite a shame to see but also the fact that you're taking note of it and making a a push to do something is is important I guess um and yeah it it makes such a big difference when the people behind the scene represent what you want to see on the outside so no matter how much you know you have like the one female DJ on the lineup who looks a certain way fits a certain bill no matter how many of those you have unless you have people behind the scene to reflect that it will just it will be very shallow and won't actually be long lasting. It'll be like for a season. Sure. And it's a shame that, you know, even you calling it out in this day and age from the boiler room cause a stir. But also mm. someone's got to do it, man. If, if you don't do it, then it'll sure. just carry on going that way. And yeah, interesting how when you look back on things, you don't even necessarily realize what you're going through. And then when you suddenly have the language or the perspective to understand, you're like, oh, that's what I experienced. Mm. That hindsight is always so interesting. Yeah, it, really. You wonder if you'd have known at the time, how would you have acted? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's, it's super weird. It's like everything hit us all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like flashbacks. And like, wait, yeah. it makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. No, really. And and but the but the problem is these things are picking up reg- uh, like no in the region as well. But mm. the problem with the rest, not the rest. I'm not gonna generalize, but. Take, for example, Saudi Arabia, who are now claiming to be, you know, like the advocates of whatnot, who basically jail people on a daily basis and women are still trapped uh, in jail just for speaking up uh, about women, uh, women, uh, you know, basic uh, rights and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And now they're claiming, you know, to be the first, you know, to be organizing the biggest uh, 
electronic music uh, festivals in the region with international DJs. Technically, you're not allowed to dance in uh, Saudi Arabia. So now, no you know, it's this huge... Yeah, yeah. So how do you have festivals and not be allowed to dance? Like, what's the loop? I don't know. I don't know what's... That's the, that's the main problem that I'm having with the region in general. Not that it's any of my business, but it is <laughs> my business yeah. as well. Because it's always... What, what is being portrayed in the media, like this entire PR stunt that they've been, you know, running for a while it's just it's just ridiculous i mean just the last week human rights activist was released after a thousand days being jailed it wasn't her first time she was jailed for a thousand days because she spoke up about women's rights like are you shitting me and she's not free yet there are terrible stories coming out of there but you cannot you know say okay i'm fine and i'm not okay with that but i but i can get paid i'm talking about international djs i don't care i just want to get paid but I will play at that festival. But, but because, look, Saudi Arabia is doing great. And, you know, which is not the case at all. This is why, for example, Peggy Goo got bashed two years ago, I think, because she played at that Middle Beast festival thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I think this is also very important. And, again, whatever is being portrayed in the media is complete, you know, hoo-ha. Different to, <laughs> yeah. to the hoo-ha. I think yeah. hoo-ha is our term for today. Um, <laughs> No, I think there's so much, (laughs) there's so much to be done and so many human rights infringements that continue to go on. It's really scary when you think about it. And a lot of us are able to live almost detached from that, um, which is a massive shame. But I don't know. I want to say I have hope. You know, I'm like, how many years have I got left on this earth? Let me just get through it. (laughs) Slightly fatalistic. Okay. Or nihilistic, whichever term is. Um, All right. So on to the next bit. Yeah. <laughs> on that really positive note. I guess what's what's coming, let's say in, in, in Beirut, and I'm I'm gonna talk a bit about the region, just uh, one tiny sentence. And I, I guess what's now since the priority in Beirut is just basic survival. Uh you because uh, you have nothing happening and your money is blocked at the bank and you know the country is closed because of COVID uh, restrictions and they don't know what to do about anything. So more and more uh women are, you know, being more oppressed and limited uh in terms of, you know, what can I do? Am I supposed to change careers? Am I supposed to continue, you know, uh just uh should I go on uh, performing or just, you know, playing or producing? I know it's super hard to to keep uh, you know positive you know mindset because the last thing you think about is you know we well the country is going into shit let's just play some music or just produce and I have nothing to do so I, anyway I'm just hoping that this will not backfire and you know I have less and less uh, female individuals or female defined mm. individuals you know being represented or you know pushed to produced uh as for the rest of the region i know it's it's booming slowly but surely but i'm i'm hoping that these things don't you know backfire as well because again if we're just polishing the turd i know that this image of the arab world of being you know uh, uh friendly uh, to you know human basic human rights or women's rights yeah i don't think that will only be solved with adding uh females to their lineups mm. there's a much deeper issue at hand. it's of not course. just about djs and gigs and women it's like human rights women's rights access because in times like of this of course and minorities representations yeah i guess in times like this it's the people who are the least empowered in society or the most disenfranchised who suffer the most exactly podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Share Her Power campaign, encouraging camaraderie over competition amidst women. It's all about women uplifting women. So Lillian, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about the the problems in the Levant region. Or let me say not problems, but the the situations, the challenges that are occurring, especially for women, female-identified individuals, um, people who don't have as much access, and you know, going on the idea of women empowering women and support and help I kind of want to ask you a few questions or ask what insight you have um, that you'll give to women looking to DJ and produce in your region um, especially at a time when things aren't very stable or there's a fear of a rollback of freedom and access for people like yourself mm-hmm. well my advice I'm guessing what's coming is going to be hopefully uh, less you know or more accessible I'm hoping 
than what was happening in the past decades or, or so. Since, you know, this is an issue that has been, I don't know, that is being highlighted internationally. Uh, and a lot of funding, for example, from, I don't know, Europe or the States or whatever, or Northern America is coming to the region. But of course, with the one of the conditions being, you know, you need to have a, either a 50-50 kind of ratio for the gender balance in, in the either lineups or, you know, in your committee or whatever. But what I'm hoping for is that for this not to just be, you know, an agenda kind of thing, to actively, you know, to... I'm hoping, I really hope, I'm really hoping that women would actually uh, have enough means to do something independently from this, you know, mm. sy systemic, ugly, uh, you know, of... I don't know. I want to say hierarchy. Um, I don't know how to say this really in a nice way. Basically, it's going to take a while to get out of this system. And it's going to take a while to be truly independent and, and whatnot. But as long as you have that gut feeling that tells you you can actually do it, and regardless of what's coming your way, be it you know uh, funding or opportunities to perform, uh, and I think this is where it all happens in your guts, basically. And might take some time to sound like yourself and that's okay it will take some time and if you feel that this sound corresponds to you then go for it and give it all you've got and if at some point this sound doesn't you know sound like you anymore go for it just change keep on changing until you find something that you are okay with and that is really you know genuine to who and what you are and just keep on doing it no matter how long it takes and no matter how many people tell you you can't do it or just, you know, block the way, just keep on doing it. As long as you're genuine to yourself and what you believe in, you should just go ahead and keep doing that. Nice. You know, what you're saying about the change in sound resonates with me because mm -hmm. I guess I started off DJing with a certain sound. It was a lot more Afro beats and mm -hmm. Afro house and more that kind of world of African electronic music. And then I've suddenly, not suddenly, but gradually become more into... I'd say stuff that is more on the European or Northern American, whatever dance floor, so like techno, electro, mm -hmm. um, breakbeat, sort of acid house kind of sounds. And sometimes I feel a bit conscious in myself, like, am I being true to my sound or am I being overly influenced by where I live now? Or am I doing what I think people want, would want to hear would make me more bookable? But then mm -hmm. I just need to sit down and think, do I actually like this music that I'm playing? Am I dancing to this music that I'm playing for myself? If yes, then... Yeah, I, it's right for me to be playing it because I do 100%. actually like it. And also influences and changing sounds are okay and it's not a betrayal. You know, they're not a betrayal. They're actually like a, a growth, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, which is exactly what you said. So essentially I'm massively seconding that because Amazing. sometimes I need to tell myself that when I'm questioning, you know, my mm. track selections. Mm -hmm. Okay, and also um, looking at your region, I know you're trying to do some initiatives to help women and female-identifying individuals um, to get more into DJing and production. But are there any other collectives or groups or people in your region that you also want to shout out who are doing inspiring stuff in this area? On the musical, uh, on the musical uh, scene or side, I mean, uh, there are no only female-only kind of collectives, but I can shout out to Beirut and Beyond International Festival for always... Uh, for making sure to always have that gender balance either in their lineups or in their in their behind the scenes uh, crew and you know jury and committee and also funding the right way basically mm -hmm. that is really cool there's also an underground collective uh in Beirut it is called uh frequent defect it's inactive now of course so we can't do uh we can't you know party or anything uh, who have been, you know, have taken uh, over the scene uh, after, you know, the long pause. And that's a shout out to them as well. Other than that, you have, you only have individuals, you know, trying to mm. help each other out. Mm. I guess um, the Arab world, the Levant region is so, so big in terms of like the different societies and cultures. And even inside countries, there's like a lot of difference and variation. True. I guess in some regions, there's just much further to go than others. And so I guess maybe in Lebanon, there aren't as many collectives that are specifically looking at this. But there's also other ways to deal with, you know, balancing out gender representation. It doesn't need to be only done for a collective. Of it course. could just be individuals doing the right thing. So fingers crossed that things improve.
Okay, Lillian Chlela. Chlela. I like that, Chlela. It really rolls off your tongue in a weird way, like Chlela. I like it. Is there a meaning to it, your surname? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) I couldn't tell you what my surname means either. Oh, Mm, Maybe I could, I don't know. Okay, anyway, so Lillian Chlela, we are coming to the last bit of the show and I'd like to finish off the podcast with reflections. I really enjoy reflections and anecdotes. So Mm -hmm. looking back on your career, can you share with us your no moment? So that moment in your career where you've essentially questioned or even regretted your decision to be a DJ or be a producer? It actually happened uh, quite a few times. But the most recent one, my my most recent no moment, <laughs> was, <laughs> I guess, in January 2020, I think. It was mm-hmm. one of my last gigs. I was booked uh, as an opening set uh, for some mainstream uh, duo, techno duo, or deep house duo, whatever. It does kind of commercial uh, mainstream uh, shit. And I knew right then and there and way before that, that I, one, I, that wasn't my slot uh, as an opening set. Not that I mind playing an opening set at all. But, and, you know your value. Yeah, of course. And I just, I mean, I can't play. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be on that lineup. I mean, why are you just, because you needed one female uh, in your lineup. This is why you put me there. But mm-hmm. I mean, okay, sure. I really needed the money back then. So I just did it. It wasn't even a good pay, but like, I was really out of work. Anyway, and when I started playing, I really didn't compromise. Like I played as if it was my, you know, regular set and all that. And I and I made it as a statement that I wasn't going to compromise, even though I know the all, you know, the owners and the agents, you know, they weren't really happy about it. But I made it. Yeah, I made sure to play whatever I wanted to play, you know. And yeah, that was a really no moment for me, even though I made it happen. I could have just, you know, compromised and played the usual what they needed to, for me to play. But it was a yes and no moment. But let's just say a no moment for me. I did not that moment. I knew I did not want to be put on any, you know, mainstream lineup just for the fuck of it. Mm, that's an interesting one. That constant battle between do you play to cater to the crowd, even if it doesn't suit you? Or do you play to be true to yourself? And there's always that battle between making everyone else happy apart from yourself or being like, no, this is what I do. And you guys have booked me. You knew what music I was going to play. So it's your fault if I don't suit your crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a t- that's a toss up, definitely. <laughs> I've had quite a few of those situations, to be fair, where I've mm-hmm. been like, what, am I meant to be here? <laughs> and actually a funny one, because you said January mm-hmm. um, 2020, it was actually during you know, last year, I don't want to say the corona word because we talk about it too much. But it was one of the first live streams that we did during the coronavirus times. Mm-hmm. So I was on this live stream. I won't say the name of the platform because, you know, I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. And it was just very clear that I wasn't going to fit on this lineup. Like, as much as I say I do play a bit more electronic-y stuff, like, mm-hmm. it was very techno, techno, and mm-hmm. I don't play techno, techno. So it was an online stream. I had to, like, deliver a mix, and I stayed true to my sound, tried to be a bit versatile and put on a bit of a, like, electronic-y acidy whatever stuff great beat I don't mm-hmm. even know if I'm saying it right but whatever fuck genres and of course. I, I, <laughs> I delivered my mix and it was played as an as a live stream at night and it was so interesting watching the comments because it was like the first time I felt like I'd genuinely been trolled because during my set everyone was like what the fuck is this music what is this set this is horrible I'm coming back in an hour when this is done and then people are like who's the DJ and they were like it's, is it Juba? Apparently the name's Juba. <laughs> it was really interesting, like, watching me essentially being trolled mm. online because everyone hated my music because I guess I'd played what I play and I was put on the wrong kind of lineup. Of course. Um, and it was one of those moments where, I don't know, I just, like, I don't think I really want to be placed in a world where I don't suit the crowd. It's not really sure. worth it, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so um, here's to being booked on gigs that suit our music for the future. Here's to changing this, the entire system of booking. and <laughs> Yeah, book. literally, a lot, of, a lot of changes need to be made, definitely, to be sure, behind the scene. And f- not finally, but on, a, on the opposite note, to bring some happiness to the equation. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us that yes moment or one of your yes moments where you've really sort of sat down or stood up while you're DJing and knew that you made the right decision to be a DJ, to be a producer? My yes moment was uh, my latest 
boiler room set. That was my uh, my yes moment in the DJing <laughs> in the DJing uh, part, which was uh, organized as a relief fund slash fundraiser for Beirut after the August fourth blast, mm-hmm. in two thousand twenty. So after recording my set, I was like, okay, this is I think one of you know the most um, careless <laughs> and you know uh, zero consideration whatsoever. Uh, set I've ever played and I'm gonna get trolled massively <laughs> on on online so I'm like okay well, fuck it and I was telling my friends okay I don't know what I did I know it's gonna be shit and nobody's gonna you know the usual crap I was really like I was really looking forward <laughs> to the trolls online but, you're ready for them yeah yeah I'm like okay <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for you bring it me with the worst. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly um so uh, uh, it was the complete opposite actually yeah you know messages and comments started you know flooding and I was like oh my god okay so it actually worked and my friends were like yeah you're an idiot <laughs> people actually like that so like no just keep on doing that I'm like oh, okay cool and and yeah, so that was my latest uh, aha moment. That's very cool. Mm. I am guilty of being overly prepared for sets a lot of the time, especially when they're live. So I take inspiration from the fact that you're like, ah, fuck it, I'm going to play what I want and mess around. And I really enjoyed the set as well when I watched it. Because obviously you. I did did my research um, but I really enjoyed it and I think that's really nice just that confirmation that I don't need to like mathematically sort out my mix and make sure I get all the effects right and the transitions right I'm just gonna play with the heart and also shout out like you know respect for doing the fundraiser for Beirut um that was a, a like I say ridiculous but I don't know what word to use like a devastating situation yeah for sure yeah 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 so I guess we are now Coming to the end, and I want to end on another positive note, and maybe mm-hmm. it would have been from one of the comments you received after your boiler room, but I want you to share a message that you received, preferably from a woman, not exclusively, that has inspired you, uplifted you, or made you feel really good, you know, maybe after a set or after something that you've done. I actually got, I once received a message from a woman. Uh, it was, I think it was two summers ago or one summer ago I don't know no, two summers ago <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah after playing live I, I I was performing live not a DJ set and this the this you know lady slash woman just sent me a random message on on Instagram and she was telling me that she attended the gig and that she was you know uh, she was feeling inspired to you know produce some stuff and that she didn't know that you know I was there which was funny enough because I'm you know, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> hiding, you know, and be like, it's okay. Uh, yeah. And, and that she wanted to send me, you know, a few of her tracks for me to give her feedback and, and all of that. And, 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 and it happened and it was really cool. And I gave her feedback and, you know, a few tips and tricks uh, about, you know, production or, you know, what gear to get and, and all that. And also uh, my latest uh, yay <laughs> message I oh. got on uh, one of the the cute uh, messages I got was during that same uh, exact boiler room set. It was from from you know some random guy in the states or something who was telling me, yeah, I don't know, Beirut was like that and, and all that crap. I was like, okay, this is one of you know these ridiculous messages. Uh, but actually, mm-hmm. it was just you know, I'm super glad that you know that you were actually showing this side of uh, of the country, blah, 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 and keep doing what you're doing. And if you ever decide to come, you know, to the States or whatever, please get in touch. We want to, you know, I have a few places and I was okay, cool. And he was an actual person, you know, not a troll. Yeah, a real, a real person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those online interactions that are quite nice are yeah. very, you know, I guess they're they're warming. They warm you, and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. actually, there are some nice people out there. The internet is not for the trolls. There's actually <laughs> a lot of decent people who are very human and very nice, and that's cool. Like, you know, I guess sometimes we might take for granted when we come from certain places. We know the different sides to to the place that we're from, mm-hmm. but across the world, some people only see one image of a country. And they think of, you know, Beirut and think, I don't know, restricted society. They think mm-hmm. of Nigeria and think fraud or Boko Haram. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> doing something to show other people what the, what Lebanon is like. And that's nice about the woman as well, that interchange, that exchange, that artistic exchange exactly. that came. That's really cool. Oh, well, Lillian. Yes, dear. We are basically done. I've gotten all the mm-hmm. information I wanted out of you. I've gotten all the insights Amazing. out of you. You can go... <laughs> You can go and have your lunch now. No, I'm joking. But uh, thank you so much. And run in the snow. Is there snow still? 
Uh, yeah, of course. Ooh, it it really? hasn't stopped snowing. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, it still snows in this world of global warming. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is just Canada, I guess. <laughs> really? Yeah, I hear Canada is very snowy. Actually, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm, definitely. Super snowy. <laughs> really, I I love snow. I love snow. I'm, I'm not Same. gonna lie. Um, it was snowing in Berlin in like mm-hmm. the beginning of February. Yeah, I and I would just like I was like I wish <laughs> I wish I had friends in my area so I could have a snowball fight and also with the coronavirus <laughs> stuck inside. Yeah, I kind of went out and sort of um, walked around by myself. And at one point, I saw <laughs> I saw this little child. He must have been about two years old, mm-hmm. and he was looking at me. And I looked at him and I was like, "Hmm, could I have Not a fight?" <laughs> Literally, snowball fight. But then I thought maybe his dad would think it was a bit weird if I threw a snowball in his kid's face without asking for permission from the child or the parents. So sure. I left it. Yeah, I thought maybe I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I need to make more friends. Anyway, so on that note, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm going to bid you farewell. It's been really, really eye-opening talking to you. And I really appreciate your insight and your various um, viewpoints and just the information you've shared. And it seems like there's a way to go for women in music in your region. But they also it also seems like your mind and people's minds might be in the right place to lead the charge of change. Um, for want of a, I think I think that sounded quite good actually. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded inspirational today. God, wow. what have I been eating? What have I been eating? <laughs> snowballs. <laughs> yeah, I've been eating snowballs. Literally, I saved them in my freezer from the snowball fights that I never had. Um, <laughs> I can see thing. them. <laughs> literally, just my my freezer stockpile of snowballs that I've got for like little kids when their parents aren't looking. honestly i I would not even put it past me that's the problem i would not put it past me thank you so much for for your time and thank you for your interest and you know it really means a lot you know for uh, me to you know for you to give me this time and the platform to talk about all these things and you know make things a bit a bit clearer to everyone else or whomever is listening because I think this is key uh, to making anything happen you know to be educated and you know more uh, have more insights on what's happening and hopefully you know moving forward trying to you know get everybody not only in the region but you know trying to get everyone to move together you know to elevate <laughs> together and to you know think collectively always 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 that's key as well amen elevation collective thinking i think that's a perfect way to leave this today thank you for that thank you so much so this has been the assurance podcast a follow-up to my documentary that explored the experiences of female djs in nigeria assurance the documentary focused on women in Lagos's music scene but overall assurance is all about spotlighting voices away from the european and north american club scenes which tend to dominate in conversations around gender and representation in music and helping me share this empowering conversation has been adidas and zalando who sponsored this podcast as part of their share her power campaign